Good afternoon. Happy Monday, Greg. It is a happy Monday indeed, for me at least, because at last my world is once again balanced. I got to go golfing yesterday. The weather finally cooperated. It was nice on a Sunday. It ended up being a gorgeous day. Yeah, gorgeous late afternoon, early evening, so I'm glad you got out. But even the morning was good. Was it? Uh, yeah. Okay. I mean, I, I, I teed off at quarter to 11, or oh. actually no, I'm going to publicly shame my playing partner, Sean. uh, Sean the Angus Beefcake, former 680 CJOB producer extraordinaire. We were supposed to tee off at Kingswood at 10:42, and I get a text from him at 10:35. He often is one of one of my friends refers to as a trunk slammer, kind of person who shows up, pulls their stuff out of the trunk, slams a trunk, runs towards the clubhouse. At 10.41, 10.35, he texts me and says, yeah, I'm sorry, man, I uh, I fell back asleep. I'll get there soon. He got there in, in decent time, 11.06. But by the time I got to the course, there was there were some clouds, but it was warm. It was nice, a little breezy, but uh, overall, it was a great day, wonderful day. You find it very stress-relieving, even though it induces a lot of stress? Yeah. I find that very ironic. <laughs> I've learned to... to Every so often I'll be on the course cursing and swearing at myself and, ah, you wimp, just hit the ball, you wimp. But otherwise I just find it relaxing. It's nice to get out there, especially when you're with some friends and just having some laughs. And I suspect you use ball. stronger language than wimp. There, there might be some slight, mm-hmm. just slightly stronger language. I'm looking forward to meeting Elsie Morden a little bit later on today. She was on Bold Radio earlier this year. You shared that conversation that she had with, was it uh, John McLeese hosting that week? And it was outstanding conversation. I hope that we can do John's interview with Elsie Justice by visiting with her at 2 o'clock this afternoon. Yeah, she's... Uh... She's a wonderful young woman, and I, I remember speaking to her when I was filling in one afternoon on the drive a number of years ago now, and it was funny because when she came in to record that segment, I didn't put it together until the weekend. I remember walking down the hall on a Thursday night, and Bold Radio, they come in, and then they sometimes record their interviews on Thursdays, and, and I see this, this girl just as I'm passing. It was just, I saw her for a second, and I thought, she looks familiar. And it just kind of went away. And then I heard the interview on the weekend, and it kind of hit me like, oh, my goodness, I, and I, I interviewed her before. I, uh, it just, I'm really I'm getting bad with <laughs> faces and names as I get older, and, and the memories are lost to the sands of time. Well, we've discussed that this is something we're going to do on our program, is bring in a memory expert, someone that can help us with remembering names. Yes. And that's something that's on our agenda to do. We just have to find said expert. And we, we have to remember to do it. So. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> at uh, at 2.30, we're going to visit with the Canadian Institute for Health Information. A startling slide showed up on my Twitter timeline uh, yesterday afternoon when I got some time to, to scroll through Twitter. And it indicated that 29% of Canadians had spent four or more hours in an emergency room the last time they went to an ER. And they compared that with other developed and industrialized countries. And the statistics, the numbers are are startling. We'll find out why that is. We'll find out from the from the folks at the uh, CRHR, uh, or pardon me, the CIHI, if they can help us dissect those numbers a little bit more as to causation and some options, some ideas for fixing this. So uh, 235, you'll want to stick around for that. And then after 3 o'clock, 
a Winnipeg athlete who has taken her collegiate basketball career overseas and doing amazing things with it. Stephanie Kleisen is her name. She had a memorable first year playing professional basketball in Germany. So she was named the Eurobasket.com All-German South Player of the Year, Guard of the Year, Import Player of the Year, and was named to the first All-Star team. So that's quite the resume. So good for her. We'll have a chat with her at 3 o'clock. And we also have Wonder Woman tickets to give away. We'll also give you our impressions of Cirque du Soleil. Curios, Cabinet of Curiosities, uh, Brett and I both attended uh, Friday night. It was kind of like, a, almost like a double date Friday night. So it was great to <laughs> hang out with you on Friday night a little bit and and see the show. I'll start, uh, uh, just I'll, I'll, I'll hook this, I guess I'll say, by saying I think it's fantastic. I would agree. That's an understatement as well. So we'll give you the, the glowing review after what one thirty, we're doing that. Yeah, around one thirty. Okay. Phil Mickelson, though, that's where we want to start. We're going back to the golf course, in a manner of speaking. We're going to go uh, and and visit this idea that Phil Mickelson is skipping the U.S. Open. That comes up in Wisconsin in about eleven days. Is the opening uh, tee off in Wisconsin? Well, you're you're hoping to go to this golf course next year? Uh, no, it's going to be in another six years. It's It'll be for the 25th annual Laker Classic. It's the annual boys golf tournament. It's already planned. Uh, we, we, we haven't booked it yet, but the, the goal is to go to Wisconsin to play Whistling Straits, uh, Aaron Hills, and I think there's going to be another course as well that will be visited while in Wisconsin. So it sounds like a, a spectacular weekend. Oh, I'd like to know how I could get in on that. Uh, here's the headline. Phil Mickelson to miss U.S. Open for his daughter's graduation. Brett, you're so good at reading news. Why don't you read us the story? Victory would have made him just the sixth man in golf history to win all four majors. But Phil Mickelson will not be traveling to Aaron Hills, Wisconsin for this year's U.S. Open. Family takes precedence for the five-time major winner who will instead attend the graduation ceremony of his daughter, Amanda. Quote, barring something unforeseen, I won't be there, end quote. He told reporters after the third round of June's Memorial Tournament, as I look back on life, this is a moment I will always cherish and be glad I was present, he says. The Pacific Ridge School commencement is scheduled for the morning of June 15, clashing with the first round of the United States Golf Association's flagship event. His daughter, class president and a tri-sport varsity athlete, is among the designated speakers. Mickelson has not missed the U.S. Open since his first full year as a pro in 1993, but stressed there's just really no way to make it, barring a weather delay for the opening round or a late change to the ceremony time. Mike Davis, who is the USGA executive director, praised the player's transparency, adding appropriate adjustments would be made. Mickelson has been a U.S. Open runner-up on six occasions and has made no secret of his desire to win the only major tournament to elude him. But it's not the first time familial and sporting commitments have collided. With his wife Amy heavily pregnant back home in Arizona, Mickelson wore a pager during the 1999 U.S. Open at Pinehurst and was ready and waiting to walk off the course at any moment should she go into labor as it happened, Mickelson ended up contesting for the trophy, culminating in a final round duel with the late Payne Stewart, though Mickelson would go on to finish second, falling short by a single shot. Stewart famously consoled him, cuppy, cupping Lefty's face in his hands and saying, good luck with the baby, there's nothing like being a father. That baby, born just a day later, is now graduating college. 
It's fascinating stuff in my mind uh, because Phil Mickelson comes across as the everyman. He's a multimillionaire, mm-hmm. by the way, <laughs> who happens to play golf for a living. So he's not really genuinely an everyman. He's in a very elite sport, playing at a very elite level, but he connects with his fans. There has been some suggestion that Phil Mickelson connects with fans, but he does not connect with other golfers on the golf course, that he's not beloved in fan circles or in, in uh, pardon me, in player circles as much as he is in fan circles. And I've got two contrasting uh, articles from different periods of time here to highlight uh, that different perception in the two groups. But, but Brett, what do you think of this idea of walking away from something that is clearly important to Phil to spend time and to be at his daughter's graduation? I commend him for the decision wholeheartedly. I do as well. I mean, it's clear that he's he's made a choice that his daughter's graduation is more important to him than trying to win this golf tournament, which he'll have other opportunities to do so. Now, I know that he's almost 50, so it is going to become more difficult with each passing year to compete with these young whippersnappers who are tearing up the PGA Tour. But this this notion that he's skipping it just to look good kind of, strikes me as odd like a, a, a father is is missing work so he can go be with his family at an important an important moment of his daughter's life i don't see the problem there is a conversation that this is part of phil's management of his perception his of his image with the fans and that's why he's doing this not because he necessarily wants to but because he thinks is this is what will make him look best in the eyes of the public uh, that conversation seems odd to me but i understand it a little bit more when you dig in to how mickelson is perceived on the PGA Tour. Now, we don't want this necessarily to be a discussion about golf or Phil Mickelson. It opens up to a broader discussion about making these decisions, work-life balance, our family obligations versus our our workplace obligations. Uh, Very few of us have the job that Phil Mickelson does. He represents himself. He's Yes, he has sponsors. He has those that he answers to on a business side, but he doesn't represent a, a city or a country. Um, he's not an, a professional athlete representing any one community. He represents himself. Yeah, I mean, and for he should example, be able if, to make this decision. Yeah, like if LeBron James were to say, you know what, I need to miss Game Four or Game Three of the NBA Finals because I don't know something, anything involving his family. I'm pretty sure the the answer would be a resounding no. Well, to use the basketball analogy, do you remember when Vince Carter? chose to attend his University of North Carolina graduation, I think it was in 2002, on the same morning as the Toronto Raptors had their biggest game in franchise history in Philadelphia later that day. And he took a private jet. He always promised his mom he would graduate from university, promised he would be at his graduation. He did that. And then that afternoon jumped on a plane, went to Philadelphia. The Raptors subsequently lost that game and that series. Uh, but he came under huge criticism for making that decision. Really? Yes. Why is that? Because he he was distracted from That's his right. task at yes. hand? Yeah, his, his job is as a professional basketball player, and uh, that should take precedence. I do we fall? Do we get that pressure in everyday world? I think we do. 
to make those decisions and to miss out on things that are important in our daily lives because work comes first for so many. Yeah, and I guess, yeah, there would be, a, can you imagine being a, a surgeon, for example, or somebody like that with a or an emergency room doctor, I suppose, where, you know, we like to think our job's important here, but we're not. In the as, overall scheme of things, I had a boss that once said, Greg, it's it's just a chair. <laughs> when selling furniture, it's just a chair. <laughs> and in the overall scheme of things, you know, it's just a radio program. But, yes, surgeons, doctors, uh, frontline workers, police officers, etc. Lots of people under pressure to be at work and to be at work every single day, no matter what's going on in your personal life. Yeah, and I mean, then that's not to say that we aren't, we don't have obligations for our job here that are outside of our regular Monday to Friday hours. But I guess maybe the question at 204-780-6868 is, do you ever feel too much pressure to do stuff for work when you have things in your personal life that are important to you, be it family, be it friends. What if you got invited to your best friend's wedding? Or not, well, you you wouldn't just get invited, of course, that's a foregone conclusion. But let's say you want to go to a wedding and, oh, but I, I might have to, your work is trying to get me to do this. What do you do? Do you have enough courage to stand up and say no work no i'm doing this or do you have to cave in and just do it because work comes first 204-780-6868 is the number to call it's the number to text you can send us an email brett at cjob.com gmac at cjob.com that's m-a-c-k gmac at cjob.com were you ever pressured into doing something for work under threat of termination, perhaps. Well, you know, I really, I kind of have plans that day. It's a Sunday. So what? You don't like it? There's a door. 204-780-6868 is the number to call, number to text. Your forecast is coming up next. did have a clip here I wanted to play. My memory is really good. It's just super short. This is from uh, Office Space, one of the classic lines from that movie. Hello, Peter. What's happening? Um, I'm going to need you to go ahead and come in tomorrow. <laughs> so if you could be here around 9, that would be great. Okay? Oh, oh, and I almost forgot. Um, I'm also going to need you to go ahead and come in on Sunday, too. Okay? We uh, lost some people this week, and uh, we need to sort of play catch-up. Thanks. <laughs> you ever been in that position, McGarry? Uh, sort of. Yeah, I think Similar. you have. Yeah, there, there may be a situation that comes to mind, but Dean is at 204-780-6868. We'll start with you, Dean, and then we'll get to Brian. Dean, what's your story about being sort of maybe pushed into things at work when you really had life commitments you wanted to honor? Uh, you know, guys, I think, it, I think it's pretty easy to uh, jump into that arena. And, and, you know, I always call it drinking the corporate Kool-Aid and being a team player. And anytime you live in that world, there's always a cost that comes with that in life. And, uh, you know, when it comes down to family and important things, I think you want to be proactive as best you can and try to let your employer know that, you know, 
these things are important and you know hopefully you can find a, a you know a page there that works for both but got examples i'm supposed to be on my way to saskatchewan today and my daughter's got a concert tomorrow night at seven o'clock and she's playing guitar and singing i'm 52 years old and i'm not missing it for the world because at the end of the day you got family and family's important to you when you you see your girls give you a big hug and tell you they love you things like that i think we're, we're missing what's really important in life today and that's why we got all the distractions and we've got to get back to some core principles so yeah i want to work with your employer i i, I travel lots i've done it for years i, I missed a lot of things because I was too busy living that world of ever saying no or not being smart enough to maybe ask for that time off. And, you know, in this day and age of life, I'm just not giving it up. I'm, I am just become a little selfish. But yet, you know, if you need me to burn the midnight oil, I'll do that for you too. So, you know, I think we got to get back to what's important. And my two girls are all I got in life, man. I'm not giving them up for nothing. That simple. Dean, uh, normally I'd engage in conversation with you on that, but I'm going to let your outstanding comments stand on their own. Thank you, sir. And uh, safe Take travels. Care. Appreciate it. Take care. Take care, guys. Thanks, Dean. We appreciate your comments at 204-780-6868. Brian is up next. Hey, Brian, what's your comment? Hey, uh, I got to say the same thing. I, I used to be exactly the same way and, you know, 80 hours a week and just work, work, work. Got to climb, got to climb, got to do what you got to do. You know, everything else is secondary, all that type of stuff. And then uh, I had a bit of a personal thing. My daughter was diagnosed with cancer, and then you realize none of that shit matters. Sorry, none of that matters. It's it it just none of it matters, and uh, family is all you got. That's uh, that's it. That's uh, really puts it in perspective. So people people miss that. You know what I mean? They might they're they're here today, but they might not be tomorrow, and uh, live every life live every day with them as best as you can. Brian, how's your daughter now? Uh, good, good. Uh, going through the process and uh, fighting the fight. So, Brian, I'm glad to hear that. Thank you for sharing at 204-780-6868. And if you want to share your thoughts, give us a call. We can carry the conversation after the news. 204-780-6868 is the number to call. Your news coming up at 1.30 is up next. 1.34 on this Monday afternoon. Some clouds in the sky. 26 degrees, not a bad day out there. If you happen to have a day off, please enjoy it. Looking like another fantastic uh, summer-like day tomorrow as well as we're looking for a high of 30 degrees. Well, showers coming back on Wednesday, but let's uh, enjoy today's sunshine and tomorrow's heat as we make our way through the beginning of this week. Another work week, and Brett, we're talking about balancing work, life, and our personal lives. It's a challenge for a lot of people, this in light of the announcement from Phil Mickelson. He will miss the U.S. Open in order to be at his daughter's high school graduation. And a lot of people are complimenting Phil on taking the stand. Not everybody's in a position to make those choices in life because there are a lot of pressures to work when you need to work. Phil is in a unique situation, I think, versus a lot of us where he's saying, well... Uh, I'm taking the stand, and there's really nobody that can stop him from doing it. Yeah, I mean, Phil Mickelson's done very well for himself, of course. He's a professional golfer who has had many successes. The U.S. Open is one success that has eluded him six times. Six times he has been the runner-up in this tournament, so it means a lot to him. He has won the other three majors, but not the U.S. Open, so he desperately wants to win this tournament, but he said, you know what? Family is more important than golf and he's taken a stand we want to know what 
Addie thinks at 204-780-6868. Addie, what's your comment regarding work-life balance? I think I don't, I look at it this way. He's simply taken a day off work. Yeah. And it's that simple. Like we're looking at this. I think we're making a little too much out of what he does and all that. If you take a day off work for family activity that is important to you, you're taking a day off work. There's nothing to celebrate about it. You're doing something that's important to you. It is hard for everyone to find out work-life balance. We know that. But in the grand scheme of things, I think we need to look at this more from a guy who's like, you know what? I'm taking the day off work because I, this is more important than work today. There are going to be some things that down the road that, you know what? He may not be able to take a day off because it's more important to go to that tournament or more important to go to that um, sponsorship meeting or something. So I think um, before we look at the whole grand scheme of like, well, you know, he's going to win this, win that. I think it just has to be simply broken down to this is a guy whose job is a golfer and he's taking a day off work. Like you work in radio, there are going to be some days you need to take a day off work. I, at least that's my simplistic look of it. I don't think it's, I don't think it's hurt shadowing. Now, Addy, do you have any, when we were using the Phil Mickelson thing really as a springboard into a conversation about, you know, work-life balance, you know, we know that Phil is, uh, he is in a unique position where he, he plays golf for a living. I mean, his job is to go out and play. Um, yeah, the keyword job. So we're, so we're just using this as a, as a springboard into a conversation about your situation. Do you ever feel pressured to skip things that are important to you on a personal level because work is trying to call on you to do something maybe uh, that is not under your normal working hours? I think my answer to that would be I've got five boys and I make sure I do everything I can to never miss anything. So that's where it becomes my responsibility of work-life balance and also always putting myself in a position where I can attend these things where, you know what, yes, you need the project done, but, you know, I have this, this is how I can commit to get it done. And I think, you know, work-life balance is something that as employees, a lot of time you have to take it upon yourself to negotiate, negotiate, negotiate yourself into a position where when certain important things come up, you want to be able to make it. Addy, I wanted to ask you if you've seen a change in attitude over the years in terms of opening these conversations and engaging in those negotiations to set your priorities and say, hey, just so you know a little bit more about me, these are the sorts of things that take precedence. I will always get the job done. I just want some flexibility. I, I, I honestly believe that's an individual thing. Because, again, I look at work as I've applied to be here, so mm-hmm. I'm choosing a lot of the things you're putting in place. My way to negotiate what I need from you is how hard can I work and what can I do to prove to you that, you know what, when this time comes and I need it, you can count on the fact that if I miss X number of hours that day, you're still going to get the same results. Right. So that's where, to me, it becomes you have to take we have to take ownership of some of those things we we can't always look at the fact that well the employer has to understand that well i have family commitments they know that all right addy thank you so much for the call call. appreciate your comments Kristen has texted us and says i have a particular set of skills 
Sorry, that was a, not my best Liam Neeson, but I, th- I think there's a subtle Liam Neeson shot in there for I Kristen. Was mi- I was missing that. I have a particular set of skills, and my workplace is chronically understaffed, so I feel obligated to get myself in there no matter what. When my dad was hospitalized for the last time, he was in for about a week, and I alternated days at work and the hospital. On his last day, I showed up for work, and my coworkers kicked me out they promised me they would manage, and I will be forever grateful for them giving me that last day with him. Sorry, work comes first. It's my very high-paying job that affords me, my family, a good lifestyle. I would say 50% of the time making family commitments, etc., is no effort at all, but I would never risk losing my job. If I have to miss something, then so be it. But unless somebody is dying, I'm not blowing off work. So that's another text to 204-780-6868, and it, it's, it, it goes in actually just coincidentally with what Kristen was just saying. Kristen, thank you for sharing your story about your dad, and uh, good for your coworkers for stepping up for you. And this, this text as well that, that Greg just read, I, it's kind of a similar thing for me. I, generally speaking, if, if my job told me you have to do this, I'm, I'm, depending on what the situation is, I might put up a fight, Ultimately, if I'm threatened unemployment, well, then I don't really have a choice. That's only happened one time while working in this building, so I'm not concerned. And anytime people have commitments here, generally speaking, it's never been an issue. Uh, But a lot of workplaces maybe aren't as flexible as others. I remember one time I had to travel on a Sunday to be at a customer location on a Monday. It was something that came up unexpectedly, last minute, but my job demanded that I be in Cincinnati, Ohio at 7 o'clock in the morning on Monday because of something that happened on a Saturday morning. Oh, boy. And between Saturday morning and Saturday evening, all the details of my travel and my trip were taken care of. And at 3 o'clock on Sunday afternoon, I had to get on a plane. And I'll never forget kissing the boys goodbye, and they were still in their car seats getting dropped off at the airport. And uh, Brendan crying his eyes out, saying, why do you have to go? Why do you have to go? And that opened my eyes to the fact that I might have to rethink this whole thing about where my career is going in that particular job. It meant me being away an awful lot. So things have worked out quite nicely since, but I'll never forget that moment and that decision and the thoughts that went through my head. Uh, Maybe there are other ways to earn a living that don't take me away from my family. The heat is a big deal for some folks today, Brett. Uh, The folks from uh, Workplace Safety and Health have just called in. They're going to join us and let us know what your rights are in terms of working in this heat. It was crazy hot on Friday. This is just coming together in the last few moments here on 680 CGOB, and we want to take an opportunity to find out what those rights are, obligations of employers and rights of employees when we come back following the weather forecast, which is very warm today, and you could call it hot tomorrow. He's Brett. I'm Greg. I like when things come together while we're on air. Our friends at uh, Workplace Safety and Health uh, responded to an interview request very speedily, and I want to thank Warren Priest for joining us on a topic that came to light today. And Warren, uh, just uh, forgive our preamble here. Just uh, We'll bring you on in just a moment, but we got a report here in the newsroom at 680 CGOB that a prominent company in town was possibly facing a day without several drivers because they were refusing to drive today because there is no air conditioning in their vehicles. 
service is being conducted and business uh, as usual. We don't know whether those drivers took the day off or not, but it got us wondering what are workers' rights when it gets a little bit hot. 26 isn't too bad, but 30 is pretty hot, Warren, and 34 on Friday was pretty much scorching. Are, Are there different things that employers need to do for their employees when it gets hot like that? Well, there's uh, first of all, there's no magic uh, number based on a temperature and rules about working or not working. But certainly heat is a workplace hazard, like uh, falling debris or a slippery floor or anything like that. So you have to mitigate uh, uh, heat when you're trying to work in hot conditions. So uh, workers can do things like wear clothing that's lightweight and light-colored and loose-fitting, you know, use fans. Uh, make sure you're hydrated, so take rest breaks and drink cool beverages, and try and sort of mo- uh, monitor your activities to the um, uh, the conditions outside. What about, I'm just thinking here, you know those people who sometimes stand on the, the side of the street wearing some sort of a costume, a mascot-style costume, and they're a sign, holding up a sign saying car wash here or pizza or whatever. Um, and often I think, God, it's really hot out to be standing outside in a costume. Um, what about someone like that where your job is to go outside and likely melt in whatever this costume is? Yeah, I think the idea is you, uh, you you pace yourself, you listen to your body, and you make sure you're hydrated and you take rest when you uh, feel the heat's too oppressive. And I think the the your boss's role in those conditions are to, you know, allow you to make those adjustments to your workaday pattern to make sure you're not going to end up with heat stroke or some sort of uh, physical ailment uh, by working out in the hot weather. Is it, a, is it a complaint that gets fielded by workplace safety and health? Uh, do you get calls on this, both on the employee and the employer side, Warren? Well, I'm, I, I'm more on the sort of the workers' compensation board side of things, and I, but I do know that the workplace uh, hazards, heat is a hazard, and it is reported periodically to workplace safety and health, and uh, I think their advice is the same as I'm giving you right now in terms of here's how to work safely, uh, the employers uh, require to um, take heat into uh, consideration when uh, conducting daily workplace activities. Warren Priest, we want to thank you very much for your time this afternoon. And on such notice, uh, greatly appreciate the insight and the information you provided for well, us. Well, thanks a lot. I hope your studio is nice and cool. Well, it is <laughs> nice and cool. <laughs> we appreciate that. That's Warren Priest, uh, work, uh, Workers' Compensation Board and Workplace Safety and Health spokesperson, joining us this afternoon on Mackling and McGarry. And sort of ties in to our conversation about making priorities that work-life balance, Brett, because sometimes you have to make a a strong decision about your personal well-being and your personal safety on the on the job and say I'm not doing that yep. that's not safe you're putting me in jeopardy you're putting me in danger yeah and it, it can vary i would imagine for whether or not you are a unionized employee or a non-unionized employee i have been in a union situation where and i i, I often wonder oh, did we really have to take the day off but there is a situation where we were in this call center, and I don't know. They they cleaned the carpets or something the the day before, but the the smell of chemicals mm. was was quite strong, and I think a couple of people maybe actually genuinely were like kind of had a headache because it was so strong. So the union rep on site said, "You know what? This is a health and safety issue. We're all going home," and that was that. 
I would imagine a non-unionized employee who was said, you know what, I'm kind of not feeling all that well because of this carpet situation. They might be told, well, here's a, here's a couple Advil. I don't know. I really don't know. I'd be curious to know what the difference would be there. I think you bring up a good point about the two different atmospheres and workplaces. Uh, here ties back to that work Home life balance. Myself being a first responder out in the rural area, I have missed multiple things due to being on call. So let's give a shout out to the rest of the first responders, whether it be the police, the RCMP, ambulance or firefighters that leave in the middle of these activities and family days and suppers and everything else that's been planned for weeks. And he's, uh, you know, you're dropping your life at a moment's notice. And I... We give a shout out every single week, at least once a week, to the frontline workers and first responders, those that work odd, odd hours so that we can maintain our lifestyle and do the things we like to do. But it's a it's a great reminder that there are hundreds, if not thousands of people in our society who really do have to head to work on a moment's notice, Brett. Yeah, I uh, we have an on-call system here at the, the radio station where every... Six weeks or so, our name pops up in our in a rotation, and we have we're responsible to be ready. It's all, I've I've only been called out one time. I'm not going to get into the specifics of that one time, uh, but it was I got to the call at twelve thirty in the morning, and uh, I had to go. So you got it, you know, you get the call, you're ready. And I've always wondered, God, how can you? Or like uh, a real estate agent. My real estate agent, Tom Goodfellow. When I, I want to give a shout out to Tom. I remember him calling me. He was on the golf course. And he I didn't call him, but he called me because something had come up with my house that I was trying to unload. He called me from the golf course. And I thought, man, this guy, his office is essentially everywhere where there's oxygen for him to breathe. Yeah, where he is, that's his office. Yeah. Sure. He, so he takes his work with him all the time. So I wouldn't be, I don't know that I could live like that. My, to me, work-life balance is so super important because I am here six days a week. And many of those days I am here later putting together stuff for the, the couch potatoes. And I remember when I first became Charles Adler's technical producer, I think I went a little overboard with the various trying to produce all the extra elements that went into that show. And I think I put in a little too much overtime. So now it's important to me to make sure that I work the right number of hours and don't burn myself out. Oh, it's critical. You, you have to find that, uh, that equilibrium without question. Here's a great text from Brad. I'm going to edit it sort of on the fly for family listening. I once literally busted uh, exclusively male part of the anatomy. How's that? For an employer, what did I get? Their job done. As for anything extra for Brad... Squat. Never again. Tomorrow's another day, guys. Thanks, Brad. Appreciate it, partner. We also got a text here from somebody. <laughs> I'll just, I've, I've been going back and forth with this person. I'll just speak directly to this person. We, Phil Mickelson was the springboard for this chat. He's skipping the U.S. Open because his daughter is graduating high school and is giving the commencement speech. And even though it's a tournament that's important to him, he has chosen that to make his family the priority, and we wanted to know. So that was the springboard into this chat, but this texter is saying, Phil has nothing to do with the subject, and he can take the day off whenever he wants to. He's Phil Mickelson. He, we're not. So where we were going with that was maybe, yes, Phil Mickelson can take the day off. Average Joe maybe, maybe can't. can't. That's right. So what? how does Average Joe 
handle the situation? Do you have that luxury of being able to to tell your employer, hey, you know what? Can I take this day? This is important to me. And what are the repercussions of doing that? Yeah. That is really the big question for all of us, right? Yeah, you can make a stand. Okay, but how's it viewed at the top in the corner office when you make that stand? You might feel really good about it at 3.35 on Friday afternoon saying, I won't be here Monday because my son is graduating. I know you'll understand. Mm-hmm. How are you going to feel Tuesday morning? Are you going to feel quite as confident walking in the door after you've had three or four days to think about it and that day off? Not everybody has the luxury of imposing those sorts of self-made hours and creating a day off for themselves. And in terms of working conditions, I know it's hot out there. It's not that hot today, but it's going to be hotter tomorrow. I've worked in the parking booths for 29 years. We appreciate you listening, my friend. Most of it without AC. We have to wear a uniform, and we're not even allowed to change from pants to shorts for the summer. Other than being able to go to the bathroom, we don't get breaks away from the booth. Coming up to 2 o'clock on 680 CJOB. I'm just uh, reading a text message here. I'd like you guys to give a shout out to all the HVAC guys that are going out day and night to fix furnaces and air conditioners. Absolutely more than happy to do that. And I'll even give an extra special shout out to my HVAC guy, Roger Venn, who is a very loyal listener to Mackling and McGarry. Hope you're having a fantastic day, no matter where you are. Hopefully you're staying cool out there. It's not a scorcher, but it's hot enough to uh, wreak havoc with your biochemistry coming in and out from the heat into the air conditioning as well. And we're so glad that our next guest has decided to join us in studio today, Elsie Morden. And Brett McGarry, you have a history with this young lady. Yes, Elsie. I interviewed her uh, when I was filling in on the drive, I guess I want to say four or five years ago. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, the, the very quick backstory as to how I got her to come in today was a couple of months ago, I want to say now. Mm-hmm. You were here with our friends from Bold Radio, which is on Saturdays at 3 o'clock. It's the Winnipeg Chamber of Commerce show hosted by John McLeese. And I just happened to be walking down the hall, and I turned to my left, and I, I saw you just as I kept walking. And it kind of registered. I thought, I think I know her. But it just, you know, I, I had to, I had other duties to, to complete that night, and I just kept going about my day. And then I made the connection when I heard the interview and realized, oh, Yes, I, I, it sort of hit me like a bolt of lightning. That yeah. Yes, I, I know Elsie because I interviewed her uh, five years ago. She told me about her story with bullying. And now it's come to an event that's happening on Thursday at the Met, the first annual country music benefit concert, which is hosted by you and No Time for That Anti-Bullying Society. So... I guess we'll start with that. No Time for That Anti-Bullying Society. What is that? So no, the No Time for That Anti-Bullying Society is a charity that I founded when I was in grade 12. And actually just kind of like backtracking to then, Brett, you were one of my very first interviews ever. Okay. Like ever. So this is really cool to be back here. Thank you so much for having me. But yeah, so I founded the No Time for That Anti-Bullying Society when I was in grade 12. And what I do is I visit schools across Canada free of charge, and I use my stories and experiences with bullying and mental illness and then songs that I've written about it to help and inspire kids. If it's free of charge, how do you how do you afford to do that if you're traveling across the country? It's tough. We rely on donations from other sources, which is why we're putting on the benefit concert this Thursday at the Met. Why so important to share that story? That's increasingly 
a common thing to do to come out and share your story. Yeah. And that's good because the stigma around not only mental illness, but bullying and yeah. sharing your story and, and what you've been through. And I listened to your story, the one in particular that you shared with John on Bold Radio that uh, really wrenched my gut, uh, something that had to do with your hair, oh, yeah. uh, you know, and uh, basically you got set up from a, a, a group of girls that you were hoping were going to be your friend. Yeah, that was one of the experiences. You know, and and you look at, at, at the experiences, I think we've all had them through school, that we look back and, and we go, boy, oh boy, I, I wish I could go back and yeah. either set the record straight or do things a little bit differently. But you are moving forward and you're sharing your story. Why is it so important to do that? Oh, it's so important. I realized when I was going through my hardest times after, you know, I felt like an outsider my whole life, after I got punched in the face in grade 11, that's when I really turned things around because I realized that there are so many people out there feeling the same way that I was, not necessarily going through the same thing, but just feeling those same emotions, feeling hurt, alone, and misunderstood. And I had turned to music from my hard times. Music was my outlet. It probably always will be my outlet. I know it will be. And I had these stories and these songs that I had written about what I had gone through, and I just I wanted to help, and I wanted to make a difference because nobody should feel hurt, alone, and misunderstood. Nobody is alone. And I kind of just started emailing local rural Manitoba schools, and the first presentation that I ever did was for a group of grade 5 students at Treehern Elementary, kind of in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> and I sat on a desk, and I told my stories, and I played some songs acoustically, I had students coming up to me afterwards telling me that I was their new role model, telling me that they weren't going to pick on that kid anymore or telling me that they're not afraid to be themselves anymore. And I just started crying and I was like, I have to keep doing this. I, I can actually make a difference. So I have now been to 500 schools across Canada in the past four years and we are now a registered Canadian charity and now we're doing these benefit concerts and I just can't wait to visit 500 more. You say that, <laughs> you, more than that. You, say that you had kids... <laughs> Uh, who were bullies yeah. that you converted to being not bullies. Yeah, and I hope I hope it stays that way. So <laughs> does that often happen where kids say, you know what, I, I bully, I'm a bully, and I'm going to stop doing it because of what you've told me? It does, and it's very surprising, and a lot of people wouldn't think that, you know, I reach out to kind of everybody, but I do, and that's why it's so important for me to go into the schools because when I go in, I mean, essentially I am saying, you know, like don't bully and it's important to prevent it and, you know, like don't encourage the stigma around mental illness. I am talking about that, but the way that I talk about it is through my own stories and my own experiences and through my music. So it's just kind of a different way of looking at it. And it's, it's a way to kind of reach out to everybody. And, you know, some people just don't realize what they're doing. They don't realize that certain things that they're saying can actually hurt and that they can actually resonate with people that much. So Greg referenced the story about the hair. Yeah. Can you sort of recount that story for those who didn't catch that episode of Old Radio? Yeah, so growing up for me was really tough. I went through a lot of things, being left out, being called names. I was forced to eat sand. Um, I was in a mercy fight, which is where you have to bend fingers back until the other person begs for mercy. So now my right hand can't bend back at all, and my left hand can bend back all the way. And in grade seven, your, I was, you, your, your right hand can no, you can't. It bend. can't bend back. Like it can go like that. My fingers. Were they broken or? No, I don't know what happened. I really don't even know. But okay. my right hand can't bend back, oh and my, my left hand can go back very far. Okay, <laughs> it's weird. <laughs> and then, but in, in grade seven, I was called the mop. That was my nickname because I've, as you can see, very curly, natural hair. And I was so insecure about it. So I started waking up every morning at six a.m. to straighten it. 
And it would take like an hour and a half some days. But I had just been back actually from the hairdressers and I got it straightened and I got like highlights put in and I got to school and the girls invited me to this big slumber party. And I was so excited. I remember I got home from school that day and I ran up to my mom and I was like, mom, mom, I'm actually invited to something. Like, I'm so happy. So I went to the sleepover and I finally felt like I belonged. It was amazing. I was so happy. And I woke up the next morning and they had cut my hair off. And I still don't know who did it. How old were you? I was in grade seven. And I still don't know who did it. (laughs) So this, you you now have depression and an anxiety disorder that you've been dealing with. Do you still deal with this on a daily basis? I do. I do. And to be 100% honest, yesterday was a very tough day for me. And, you know, you never know when it's going to hit and when it's going to come really bad. It's just kind of a roller coaster all the time. And it's just something that... I've accepted and it's just something that you live with, but it's so important for people to know that you're going to have some really bad days. We're all going to have them, but we're also going to have some really, really good days. And those good days are the days worth fighting for. Talk about the power of being a performer and a sharer (laughs) in dealing with your own issues and, and how it helps you to overcome your depression and your anxiety by sharing, you know, there's a reason why group therapy yeah. <laughs> works, right? Sharing your stories and understanding that you're not alone in what you're doing. But how does a performer who deals with anxiety <laughs> capitalize and turn that into a positive? You know, just being able to use my message and my music to help other people is the most rewarding thing mm-hmm. ever. Um, music is so powerful. It's so healing. And that's definitely why I turn to music and why, you know, so many people can relate to it. And because I'm a songwriter, I can use my own like personal stories and experiences in my songs. And just being able to tell my story and have it resonate with so many people, it's honestly incredible. What was the tipping point for you being okay with being different? Mm-hmm. At least you were told you are different. Oh, yeah. My entire life. <laughs> when, at what point did you realize, you know what? I'm going to embrace this. I'm going to embrace the fact that I've got rainbow stripes versus black and white stripes. <laughs> How are you going to celebrate the fact that that it's not different but special? It's good to be different. And it took me a really, really long time to realize that. But growing up, I always tried to be someone that I wasn't. I was constantly just trying to, you know, fit in with everybody else and impress everyone and do what they were doing. And by doing so, I made things worse on myself. And, you know, it's so important to just find the people that accept you for who you are, the people that bring you up, not down, because they do exist and they are out there. You just have to find them and you can't settle for anything less. Now you had, uh, I think you went to eight schools growing up. So is that one of the reasons why you were always a target for bullies because you were always the new girl? Definitely. I Yeah, I was always the new girl and that was really tough, especially when I would go into schools where the students had known each other from the time they were born and their grandparents were friends and, you know, I was the complete outsider. And yeah, that was definitely, that was definitely very hard. I was also very good at school and a lot of people are surprised when I say this, but, you know, for me... If I didn't get 100%, I was hard on myself, which being a perfectionist is also hard. But because I was so good at school and I excelled in everything that I did, I was also a target. So I was called nerd all the time, stuff like that. Um, People would purposely destroy my assignments. And it got to the point where I was so sick of that happening that I would actually purposely do bad in school. So I would leave questions blank or I wouldn't put in the effort that I wanted to because I just didn't want to get made fun of for it anymore. It's unimaginable. I think back on different situations uh, in my lifetime because that's my experience and I relate to so many of the things that you're saying and, you know, being the new kid, 
been there a few times as well. Yeah. No, nothing worse maybe than being the new kid. I can yeah. remember selecting partners for, do you remember that volcano project we inevitably did in grade four with the baking soda and the yeah. paper mache and not being picked, oh, yeah. you know, and standing eventually in the middle of the classroom with tears rolling down your face. Well, that certainly didn't help yeah. when you're the new kid standing there and bawling your eyes yeah, out. Yeah, there. But you know exactly what that feels like. Yeah. And to be able to put that behind you and to inspire and reach out to that next new kid, that's good on you. And that has to be, has to feel so good. And you're making real change here. I can, I can tell by Thank your story. You. And honestly, like it's hard sometimes. And like, I even now, like I still have days where, you know, I doubt things or I, you know, feel like I'm not good enough, but then I'll get a message from a student online saying, Hey, just want to let you know that you came to my school three years ago and I still look up to you and I still listen to your songs every day. And then I'm just like, you know, try not to cry. And then I usually end up crying because I'm very emotional and sensitive. <laughs> and then I'm like, okay, yeah, this is why I do what I do. And I have to keep doing it. Boy, it's such a balance, such a balance. Yeah. So when you, when you deal with the anxiety and the depression and the demanding, the perfectionism, how yeah. do you manage that part? That, that, that's, that's oh. something that needs to be managed too. Yeah. It, yeah. And you know, I still struggle with that. It is very difficult, always wanting to be perfect mm -hmm. at everything that I do. It, it is very tough, but I just have to remember that nobody's perfect and, you know, just doing the best that I can. Elsie Morton thing. is our guest. She is a Manitoba country music musician. She is going to be hosting the first annual Country Music Benefit Concert this Thursday at 7 p.m. at the Met. It's uh part of her no time for that anti-bullying society. She has dealt with bullying throughout her life. She's now visited over 500 schools across Canada to date to tell her story, to try to put a stop to bullying. And she has her guitar with us. I do. So she's going to perform something for us after we have a look at your forecast, which is coming up next. I'm Brett. He's Greg. She is Elsie Morton. <laughs> she's a Manitoba musician. She's hosting the first annual Country Music Benefit Concert on Thursday, the No Time for That Anti-Bullying Society. This is an event at the Metropolitan Entertainment Centre. Elsie has dealt with severe bullying her whole life. She has depression, anxiety disorder, but she has taken her stories and now visits schools across Canada. She's visited 500 schools as part of No Time for That Anti-Bullying Society. This event happening on Thursday, uh, tell us a little bit about it. So the concert at the Met on Thursday is basically just a really good way to bring together the community to raise awareness about what I do, the charity, and also bullying prevention, mental health, and youth empowerment, and also raise funds for the charity so that I can continue to visit schools across Canada free of charge. So you brought your guitar with you. Yeah. I've uh, been waiting to turn on this microphone <laughs> in front of the guitar. What are you going to sing for us today? I'm going to sing a song called Outsiders. This is one of the songs that I actually wrote by myself. I wrote most of my songs by myself. But uh, this one's off my new album, my first full-length debut album, which is very exciting. But um, it's a new addition to my No Time for That Tour presentations. And it just kind of summarizes what it's like to feel like an outsider. But it's also to let the listeners know that they're not alone and it's good to be different. All right, here is Elsie Morden. Take it away. Got through another day. I look in the mirror, mascara tears stain my face. All the cool kids And I can burn 
pretend I am, but I know I'm different. Who am I supposed to be? Does anybody else feel this way? I think that I'm the only one, cause I'm a wreck on the edge of breaking down, falling into the Morden. Wow, that is a beautiful song. Thank what a you. what an incredibly powerful message. And if we've used that word too often in the last half hour, <laughs> I apologize to our listeners, but your message is concise and personal and this idea of creating a new team of people who have felt alone for so long. What a po- powerful message again. I'm going to say it one more time. And this idea that you're celebrating what was held against you yeah. for so long is a, a, a wonderful way to, to to flip life on its ear, if you ask me. Yeah, turning a negative into a positive. Elsie <laughs> Morden is hosting the first annual Country Music Benefit Concert on Thursday with a no time for that anti-bullying society, which she founded. It's at the Met. 
Thursday, 7 o'clock. Tickets are available at eventbrite.ca. You can also find the information on Facebook. Do you have a website? I do. My personal website is lcmorden.com, okay. and the charity website is notimefortheattour.com. Really hope to see you out at the concert on Thursday. We have some of Manitoba's top singer-songwriters, a bunch of speakers, silent auction raffle, appetizers, refreshments, music trivia. It's going to be a great night for a great cause. All right, LC Morden. And again, sorry, that was .com? Yes. Okay, all right, and I can get your music there as well? Yes, my music is available everywhere. All right, 227 on 680 CJOB. Your news is up next. Brett McGarry and Greg Mackling with you on this Monday afternoon. And Brett, uh, typically when we come out of news and weather at the bottom of the hour, we we move on to another topic. But I just want to quickly thank you for making arrangements for Elsie Morden to join us in studio. What an absolute delight to meet her. Her story is inspiring beyond words and the work that she's doing to spread her story is absolutely infectious. So uh, thanks for reintroducing uh, Elsie Morden to our our listenership because uh, she is outstanding. What an amazing young woman. And once again, the no time for that anti-bullying society. First annual country music benefit concert is happening this Thursday at 7 o'clock at the Metropolitan Entertainment Center. You can find information for it on Facebook if you just search for the No Time for That Anti-Bullying Society, or you can find details on the event at eventbrite.ca. And her website, once again, is lcmorden.com. A wonderful young woman, and she's doing great work to just bring awareness to the subject of bullying. I, I, it's one of those things that I don't think is ever going to go away. We can try to, to stop it. And as and she's doing it, like she said, she goes and, and visits kids in schools and kids who are bullies say, you know what, I'm not going to do this anymore. Well, I always say anonymity is a criminal's best friend. And if you can operate without other people talking about what you're doing, you can wreak a lot of havoc. And so guess what? You talk about bullying. When there's bullies in the room, it makes them a lot more difficult to keep operating. And everybody knows who you're talking about pretty quickly. And it gives those that are being bullied the power to speak up. And it flips the table. It gives the those that are bullied, it gives them more power. It gives them permission to speak up because there's always that insinuation that you're a fink or you're a rat or you're a tattletale when you come forward when those sorts of things are happening to you and presentations like Elsie's give those that are victims permission to speak up and to stand up and I just I can't do anything but applaud Elsie for what she's doing. She is tremendous and we will have to have her back at some point down the road. We are going to move on now and Greg uh, you pulled a slide from something that you saw over the weekend that's unfortunately rather eyebrow-raising. Yeah, that's a great way to put it, Brett. 29, it's a slide that was shared at a presentation in Toronto this weekend. Uh, Medical professionals that had gathered to talk about many things, but one thing that came up, and the title of the slide is Emergency Department Wait Times Are Longest in Canada. And it says 29% of Canadians report waiting four or more hours the last time they went to the hospital emergency department. Of course, things are changing dramatically in Winnipeg in particular, including the number of emergency rooms that will be available to look after those of us that live in the city of Winnipeg. 29% is amazing number, especially when you compare it to the other countries cited in this report. France, Germany, Netherlands, Switzerland, United Kingdom, New Zealand, Australia, all those 
countries 10% or less, including only 1% in France that had ever waited or had waited four hours or more in their last emergency room visit. Joining us to discuss these numbers and some options for change, Christina Lawan, she's Senior Research Health System anal- uh, Analyst, pardon me, and emergency uh, Emerging Issues. Canadian Institute for Health Information. It's a mouthful, Christina. I apologize. Uh, Thank you for taking some time. That number is uh, startling and all at the same time, maybe not surprising to most people listening today. Yes, that's right. Well, that number, as you mentioned, was part of an international survey and the Canadian Institute for Health Information where the Canadian co-partner of the survey that's conducted simultaneously in 11 countries. So that data is from last year, so from spring of last year. You mentioned some things that were happening egg, so hopefully they might be reflected the next time the survey is conducted. But uh, at that point, yeah, that's one of the areas where Canada stood out uh, a little more poorly was in measures of what we call timely active care. So uh, the survey found that Canadians waited longer uh, in the emergency department. They waited longer, more generally speaking, for medical care. So waits to see their family doctors, waits for specialists were, were the longest in Canada amongst the 11 comparator countries. You know what, I'm just going to put Christine on. Oops, I just uh, hung up on her. I meant to put her on hold so that Jeff Forte could call her back. But instead, I clicked the drop button. So Jeff Forte is going to call her back because sometimes what happens is you get these, you get a bad connection and it's simply just, it's like hitting the reset button. Sometimes you just got to reboot. Unplug, plug back in after 30 seconds. Hopefully it doesn't take us that long to uh, get Christina back. But yes, 29% of Canadians, this is why we're visiting with Christina from the Canadian Institute for Health Information, 29% of Canadians say, and this was a report and a survey done last year, report waiting four or more hours the last time they went to the hospital emergency department. This contrasts to the United States, where 11%, Say they waited for more hours, Norway, 13%. And the next closest country on this list of countries surveyed was Sweden at 20%. And Christina rejoins us on the line. Sorry about that, Christina. I meant to put you on hold, and I inadvertently hung up on you there. So uh, we're having a chat here about these the, this survey that was done. Canada, 29%. France, 1%. And is it too pedestrian or simplistic to simply say why is there such a gap between a country like France and a country like Canada um of course it's it's this is one of the reasons why we do surveys like this. And, uh, you know, one of our roles at the Canadian Institute for Health Information is to compare the performance of health systems within Canada, because we know we don't just have one health system in Canada. Every province and territory has their own system. But also to look beyond our borders, because there might be things that we can learn uh, of other countries that are doing things a little bit differently than us. So uh, when we see a result like this, of course, we know it's, it's a population-based survey, so not every single person uh, who was using the system was consulted. There is statistical variation in, in the numbers, but even when we took that statistical testing in mind, we found that Canada performed significantly lower than the, than the international average on, on these measures. So let's cut Canada's number in half. Let's just do that for fun and double France's number. We're still at 15% and 2%, even if, yeah, if, we, if it, we do it, that. So that, that's a gigantic contrast. What are they doing in France that we don't do in Canada? 
Um, well, it, it obviously we would need to do you know a little bit more digging to understand this. But one of the things that was interesting about the survey is that on on measures of what we call timely access to primary care, so that's being able to see your family doctor or go into a regular into your regular clinic or place of care in a timely fashion. Those are areas where Canada did more poorly. So we had the longest waits to see your family doctor. So uh, one out of five. Uh, 20% of Canadians said they waited five days or longer the last time they really needed to, to medical care and to, to see their family doctor. And that was the longest wait of all of the countries as well. And Canadians had more trouble uh, getting in to see their uh, family doctor without going to an emergency department after hours or on the weekends. So we see that at the very front door, we're having some timely access issues. And a country like France and the Netherlands have really put a lot of emphasis on what we call primary care. So that means the whole network of care around you that is the closest to you. So that's your family doctor, that could be uh, other healthcare professionals that are on the front line so that you don't have to go to the emergency department uh, when you have an issue or a problem. And I think that that is the goal, the stated goal, at least of the current government here in Manitoba and moving forward, the idea that we are going to go in Winnipeg from five emergency rooms to three, or is it six to three? I think it's six to three because of timely access and hopefully educating the public into not going to an emergency room when they don't need to. Is that one of the bigger challenges is making sure that people are using resources in a proper fashion, Christina? Well, it, it's certainly one of the challenges, and this uh, international survey also found uh, that, you know, 40% of Canadians said that the last time they went to the emergency department, it was for something that could have been treated by their regular doctor at their regular place of care. So that's that's a pretty telling statistic as well. Um, so I think there's problems at the front end, but there's also problems at the back end. So uh, we know from other data that we publish here at the Canadian Institute for Health Information that some of the very longest waits in the emergency department are waits for the more serious cases that need to be admitted to hospital. But when you have hospitals that are sometimes um, at full occupancy rates, uh, well, there might be some people that can't be discharged as quickly because maybe the, the supports in the community aren't there for them. For instance, if it's a, a senior citizen and they're waiting for either some residential care or maybe some rehabilitation care uh, and, and that spot is not available for them, well, they're occupying a hospital bed and that means someone from the emergency department can't move into the hospital. So all of those things contribute to longer wait times than a clogging of the emergency department. So it's it's an issue that goes well beyond the walls of the hospital. So what should we or what can we do differently to try to get this number, which once again the stat is 29% of Canadians report waiting four or more hours the last time they went to a hospital emergency department. What can be done differently to get this number to come down? Um, well, you know, there's interesting examples of things that are being, you know, tested and tried across the country. We know that a lot of provincial governments are putting uh, more of a focus on really improving that access to uh, what we call primary care. And that means having more family doctors, for example, work in teams and in team-based approaches. 
uh, like we know that in provinces like in Ontario and Alberta, as part of those team-based approaches, uh, family doctor's offices have to offer some services after hours, after regular hours. So that's certainly a, a way to improve timeliness of care. There's also ways that family doctors can um, uh, change schedules. So there are things that are like routine checkups uh, are done, you know, at certain times of the month, things that could be scheduled in advance or scheduled in advance so that you always have, you know, a, a certain amount of open space so that you could take those those cases those cases that need more urgent care on a more timely basis. So some of those some of those initiatives are already happening and are already uh, certainly uh, making improvements in some parts of the country. But um, you know the issue, as it always is in Canada, is some things are piloted, but they're not necessarily spread very quickly or, or known about. So I think a big part of this is learning from the innovations that are happening in different pockets of the country and trying to to really learn from them and spread them across the country. Christina, I want to thank you very much for sharing some of this information with us, some different ideas for sure, and uh, some insight into these numbers. Greatly appreciated. Thank you very much. Christina Lewan, Senior Researcher, Health System Analysis and Emergency Emerging Issues, Canadian Institute for Health Information. Thought I had it nailed there, Brett. I did not. Appreciate uh, Christina. I oh, want to hear from you. Four-hour wait in an ER... Uh, this might shock you. I think most of us anticipate we're going to wait at least four hours when we go to an ER. Yeah. Right? Kind of just, okay, I got to go to the ER. I'm just going to hunker down, bring a book or something if you can, you know, depending on what the situation is, right? Like you, maybe you have, it's a it's a situation that you requires a trip to the hospital, but your your life isn't in immediate danger. So you just get prepared to sit there for a while. And I just wonder, Christina said it, that a lot of this tie-up in ERs has to do with, and she said it, 40% went there for something that they probably knew at the time didn't really require an ER, but it was seen as their only option. My doctor only books appointments 48 hours in advance. You can never get an appointment for more than 48 hours in advance. The only time that they change is for like a physical checkup, like your annual phys- physical, because it takes more time. And so they block those out and they, but they only book those, I think it's a week or two in advance. And so the idea is that when you need to go in and see your practitioner, because you're feeling unwell, you're not seeing your doctor after you've already gotten better. How often? Do you go and you need to see a doctor now and then by the time you have an appointment, oh yeah, that was so yesterday, I'm I'm feeling much better now. And I think that's one option for making doctors available when you need them. Well, that was one of the things she she talked to. I didn't catch the the stat itself, but she referenced uh, a number of people reporting they had to wait five days to see their family doctor. And Canada, once again, was one of the worst offenders in this category. I remember I had a doctor, great doctor, Dr. Wozni, a Transcona Medical. The only time I ever saw him was for my physical. Anytime I needed to see Dr. Wozni, I never saw Dr. Wozni because, okay, yeah, we can get you in in two weeks. Like, well, my throat is sore right now. <laughs> <laughs> I have the chicken pox right now. That actually was a funny side story. I, I think I've told you this before, but I, when I had the chicken pox and needed a doctor's note so that I could hand it over to my abnormal psychology professor and say, this is why I missed my exam, I basically had to phone them and say, hi, 
I have the chicken pox. I need a doctor's note. I'm coming down there. I'm just giving you warning. I don't care who I see, but I need a doctor's note. This so. is what I need, and I need it now. <laughs> and they cordoned me off like I was some sort of a quarantine victim. I went in wearing a hoodie. I looked because I was 19, so I was. they hit For, me a little bit harder than I think it might hit a kid. Oh, I, You were hideous. I, I'm, I'm hideous. Look away, Greg. We'll open the phone lines on this. Uh, we'll have just a couple of minutes when we come back. We do want to get your feedback. We've got some feedback on text 780-6868. Bob, I see you in the queue. We'll talk to you when we return. He's Brett. I'm Greg. Jack telling us there's an accident. Silver and ferry emergency vehicles blocking traffic across ferry from silver. So avoid that area, uh, ferry and silver. Greg Mackling, Brett McGarry with you. Emergency. Emergency department wait times are longest in Canada. This is according to a survey done by the Canadian Institute for Health Information. 29% of Canadians report waiting four or more hours the last time they went to the hospital emergency department. Compare that to France, where it's 1%. Bob has been waiting patiently at 204-780-6868. Bob, thank you for your patience. What do you have to say? Well, some key points, I think. Number one, I question the relevancy of this data. It's obviously very dated. You can go online right now. Winnipeg has one of the the longest wait times. You can go online right now and find out what the wait times are at all our emergencies, and none of them will be at four hours as far as I know. I know my wife just broke her arm. It took her 20 minutes from the time she left home to be dealt with uh, in an emergency setting. So that's point number one. But do you know who has the fastest response time in North America as far as uh, uh, first responders? You know, you know which city has the fastest response time? I have a feeling I'm going to know the answer in a second. Yeah, it's Winnipeg. So, so when you have an emergency in Winnipeg, it gets dealt with. Winnipeg's first responders are the fastest in North America. Now, the problem, anyone that's city in an emergency for four hours. What does that tell you? It's not really an emergency. Bingo. Yep. So how do you deal with that? You deal with that with education. Well, hang on a second here, Bob. We had a text message from Mark who says, I was in emergency last week. I had a seizure. It happened downtown. I was brought in by ambulance. I waited 10 hours before I was seen. Okay, so there, there is an issue that, I mean, and every system will have flaws. You know, seizures are always tough to deal with. But again, they're triaging, you know, fortunately the person survived, you know, so there literally are life and death situations. But he, uh, he, he was, the first responders were on that scene, the fastest in North America, and he, and he survived. So we're thankful for that. Bob, is there any chance that you happen to work within the system or know somebody who works within the system? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I've, been, I've been embedded in the system, uh, mostly as, as a, a referral, re, uh, referring athletic injuries to the system. All right. And... Uh, Hey, Bob, hey, no, thank you very much for that, and we appreciate your call. I just want to quickly, I see Patrick is uh, waiting on the line, and we only have a few seconds left here, so let's go to Patrick at 204-780-6868. Hey, Patrick, what do you think? Ten minutes. I waited in the emergency room for ten minutes when I went to St. Boniface. I was having anaphylactic shock, first time it had ever happened to me. And literally, I walked up to the counter. I said, I think something's very wrong with me. And they moved me into the back. 
What caused your reaction? I have no clue. And since that day, I traveled with an EpiPen religiously. Wow. But they had me back into the back in, in inside 10 minutes. They had, I will back up everything that, that Bob just said. You know, there is fantastic response times for, there again, real emergencies. The contrary, or the, the, the argument, I guess you will, to Mark's text being that he was with emergency first responders. He was taken care of. He was being monitored. He still had to wait to see an actual physician but he was being monitored and medically taken care of. Patrick, appreciate your call. And there are a lot of people that say, you know what? Sometimes the wait is long. Sometimes it's not long. But once you get through those doors, you get amazing care for most people. Thanks for uh, taking time to share your stories with us. Global News at 3 o'clock is coming up next on 680 CJOB. I will give you an actual traffic tip. Silver and Ferry Road, avoid the area there. There is uh, an encounter between two unintending vehicles. We could call it a crash, you could call it an accident, whatever you like, just stay away. Emergency vehicles are in place. He's Brett, I'm Greg, through until 4 o'clock, and then the news with Richard Gluche and Julie Buckingham. And we love to celebrate Manitobans and Winnipegers' uh, special achievements on this program former university of winnipeg westman women's basketball great stephanie clayson had a memorable first year playing professional basketball in germany stephanie joins us now to talk about her debut season and all the crazy awards that she wore uh, that she won in that first season stephanie thanks for joining us on mackling and mcgarry oh no problem i'm happy to talk to you guys so who knew that there was women's professional basketball in Germany and who knew that a Canadian would go over and dominate? How did you uh, come to be playing for the BVUK Sharks in Würzburg? Well, actually, it's it's pretty big in Germany. And um, funny enough, I got the connection to play over there because a former Winnipegger actually played on that team previous to me. Um, and it just it worked out that they were looking for an import player, and then it took off from there. So how many people on that team, Stephanie, are people from other countries other than Germany? Um, well, my team only had uh, one import, and that was me, but there were uh, other teams in the league would have uh, two to three, usually, different imports from different countries. So give us an idea of the atmosphere. Uh, one of my good friends played uh, professional volleyball. A couple of my buddies played uh, over in Europe and Denmark in particular. And the and the fan experience and the experience in arena was absolutely uh, outstanding. What, what's it like? Uh, paint a picture for us uh, for a women's professional basketball game in Germany. Well, one of the best parts about playing overseas was that the, I find that um, it's way less commercialized. Like, it's people who are very passionate about the sport go to go see, and uh, it's a very a very supportive community there um, versus what you would see as a professional game here. If you go to, like, an NBA game, it's very much so about the entertainment factor and all that. But playing in Europe, I found people were very passionate about the sport they went to go watch, and it was you could really appreciate that as um, an athlete from that standpoint. So that was really nice, actually. It was like a different uh, appreciation for the game. 
So how, uh, and I see that you're just looking at your stats here, rather impressive. Uh, you led the team in points with 15 points per game. Um, what is, is the level, uh, what's the level of competition like, I guess, compared to playing college basketball here in Canada? Uh, I'd say the biggest difference would be the pace or the style of play. Um, CIS I found to be a very fast uh, transitioning sport um, versus in Germany. I found that it was more strategic. It was a lot of um, half-court play, uh, running through the offenses, um, unless about the quick scores. Um, but everyone was very disciplined there and uh, running through what the coach had set out for us. I'd say that would probably be the biggest difference in the two. I see a, a name or a word rather that I'm familiar with from German soccer, all German to Bundesliga, South Player of the Year, Guard of the Year, Import Player of the Year, and named to the first All-Star team. That is in Germany. We're visiting with Stephanie Clayson, former University of Winnipeg, Westman women's basketball player. And Stephanie, uh, to be showered with those awards had to be uh, very gratifying, I imagine. Yeah, well, you know, I was, I was pretty shocked to be honest. I don't know if uh, I don't know if the person was bored and just decided to write my name down a few times, but um it just ended up that I guess I was a, it was a, success, a successful year and um yeah, I was very humbled by all those awards. I couldn't believe it to be honest. I felt very lucky. That's well your your modesty is impressive uh, to suggest that the team's leader in points and rebounds and steals is uh just got the name written down cuz out of sheer boredom. Uh, <laughs> so I congratulate you for that. How many more years do you hope to play? Um well, unfortunately, um it just was for the year because I do have to go back for school now and uh kind of have to venture out into a different uh, pass. So it would have been nice to play one more year, but um, I've had to do other things now and move forward with uh, my academic career. So, so th- that was your swan song, not a bad way to go out. Yeah, I thought it was a good place, a good time to call it quits, do the retirement here, and then not have anything too bad on my <laughs> resume. Uh, can we ask uh, what's next for you then, Stephanie? Um, I'm hoping to pursue a career in physiotherapy. You're hoping to. What, what, yes. what could be? What could get in the way? <laughs> uh, hopefully, getting accepted into the program. Is <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the first step. Generally, yeah. yeah. We just thought you were being modest again, Stephanie. No, so no, you'll, you'll, no, you no. have a reputation in uh, the last seven minutes that you've built with us that you're overly modest. So uh, we thought you were playing that card one more time. Well, please keep in <laughs> touch with us. We'll, we'd love to hear how things are going, and we appreciate your time this afternoon. And once again, congratulations on going out on top. Uh, that's what they call. Uh, going out in style. Yeah, well, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. All the best. Stephanie Clayson joining us. She is uh, back in Winnipeg following what I would call a monumentally successful season in the German Bundesliga of women's professional basketball. Yeah, she played uh, her first and unfortunately only season with the the, the BVUK Sharks Würzburg. She was named the Eurobasket.com All-German 2 Bundesliga South Player of the Year, Guard of the Year, Import Player of the Year, and she was named to the first All-Star team. She led the Sharks to a 13-7 regular season record, and she led the team in points with 15.1 per game. She led the team in boards and steals and was also named Player of the Week on a couple of occasions. 
We have a traffic tip here, by the way. Southbound Route 90. Route 90? Problems on Route 90? <laughs> First time for everything. Impossible. Just south of Taylor on southbound Route 90, there is a fire truck in the median lane. Caller says the lights are not active on the truck and it might be stalled. So watch out for that. We'll get a full summary of traffic coming up in two minutes with Casey Gibb. I promise we will review uh, to a certain extent Cirque du Soleil. Curios, Cabinet of Curiosities. I know we meant to do that earlier, but our conversation about personal time, work-life balance in light of Phil Mickelson's decision to not participate in the U.S. Open next week uh, took up and created uh, a lot of conversation. So we apologize for not making it around to that conversation about Cirque du Soleil. We did both agree, Brett, that it was fascinating and absolutely fantastic, but we want to give away some stuff right now. Yeah, something else? And it involves this weekend's box office champion. How can a woman fight in this? Who is this young woman? Diana, princess of the Prince, Diana Prince. A.K.A. Wonder Woman. I loved the movie, by the way. Gave it four couch cushions out of five. I will go see it again soon. And we want you to see the movie. We have run of engagement passes for the movie for Cineplex Theatres. The passes are valid Monday to Thursday, excluding holidays. And today's question, what was Wonder Woman's estimated weekend domestic box office? Hmm. Might seem simple, but not necessarily. Hmm. 204-780-6868. Again, 204-780-6868. What was Wonder Woman's estimated weekend domestic box office? Is a lot an allowable answer? Uh, I would clump that in with the, the Cliff Clavin line of answering for the Jeopardy, who are three people who have never been in my kitchen, is technically correct. I suppose, but that's not the answer we're looking for. Okay. So okay. a lot is correct, but... Lots of millions of dollars. <laughs> lots of millions. <laughs> lots of millions. Will you accept lots of lots of millions? No? Okay. I'll go home with my tail between my legs now. Yeah. So uh, you're going to take the boys to see it, by the way? Well, you said yes to do it. So yes, I'm going to. There you go. Yes. I, hey, man, the, what the couch potatoes say goes in our house. Oh, so, good. Yeah, absolutely, man. So do, let's see. Do, should we do Cirque du Soleil right now? Why not? Just very quickly. Uh, Cirque du Soleil, Curios, Cabinet of Curiosities, opening night was on Friday. And they was it. First of all, they did a nice production. They had free popcorn and wine for everybody. Generate cakes. We got to try some of their macarons. So good. My God. They were I tasty. wrapped some up and I put them in my pocket, <laughs> took some home. I think I had seven of them. <laughs> I, I, they made 2,500 for the approximately, was it 2,000 people in attendance? Yeah, just over 2,000. So I got more than my fair share, I think. I Not just kept... an empty seat in the house, by the way. Yeah. It's an amazing show. Amazing show. And under the big top, of course, we had that thunderstorm. You could hear the rain pelting down, but never once felt as though the tent or... The big top was in any way under threat Mm -hmm. in any fashion from the weather conditions. The show, from the moment that you walk in the door, the show begins. They had performers on stilts walking around. The sense of hospitality, in my opinion, was immediate. And when you took your seats, there was something going on on stage the entire time. Like there was no dark stage 
In fact, they were allowing people to walk across some of the apparatus they had set up before the show. It's very intimate, very engaging, and plain and simply, when I'm at a show like this, typically there's a point where I start looking at my watch. Is this thing over yet? <laughs> Not once did I look at my watch, except to make sure I was back in my seat before the end of the intermission so that I didn't miss anything in Act 2. Spectacular show worth every penny if you decide to uh, go or send somebody else. Yeah, I fully agree. The acrobatics on display were among the best I've seen in any Cirque du Soleil show. I've only seen three of them now, but they were just incredibly inventive as Cirque du Soleil shows are. They take sort of traditional things that circus acrobats do and then they put a unique spin on them. I would imagine... You know, someone. When I watch a Cirque du Soleil show, I kind of wonder, like, is this what being on an acid trip is like? Because it's pretty cool. I'm certainly not endorsing that, by the way. (laughs) I would also, I do need to point out very quickly, and we we got to run right away here. If you're at all tall, I was uncomfortable. I was looking at my watch because I was uncomfortable. It was a great show, but by the time it was done, I was grateful that it was done. So there are some seats where there is some extra leg room because there is a, a pathway or walkway in front of you. That yeah. would be the, the excellent trade-off. Detail. A detail-oriented production. Nothing was out of place. Spectacular. Indeed. It was wonderful. Uh, and it's going to be on under the big top until July 9th. we got to have a quick look at your forecast up next. Je m'appelle Greg. He's Brett. Hope you're having a great Monday afternoon. Looking forward to getting outside. Been trapped in here since eight thirty, and yes, I've been trapped. Wow! Yeah, I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah, you walked to work today. I did walk to work. Yep, you're a smart man. I wish I lived a little closer, then I could work walk. Yeah, that's one of the reasons why I wear, uh, why I chose where I I now live, so that it, I can walk to work if oh, I so choose, or guy. just take a tip. Well, because I, you know, after I sold my house and moved back to to Transcona. Transcode is my home. It'll always be my home. I love it, but it was it's a it takes a thirty to thirty five minutes to get here in Polo Park, and it was costing a lot of money in gas. Now I gas up maybe once a month, and I can walk to work. So it's and now you throw the uh, no smoking thing into like man, you must be uh, playing with tailor made clubs and <laughs> well, well, there's one. <laughs> Actually, no, they are the, my golf clubs are tailor made clubs, but the, the driver is new ish. But the, the, the irons are probably needing an update. Time for an upgrade, McGarry. Mm. You've earned it. Earlier in the program, we were discussing the fact that uh, survey, courtesy of uh, the Canadian Institute for Health Information, indicated that this was last year, that 29% of Canadians who had been to an ER spent four or more hours there the last time they visited an ER, and that opened up. A bunch of conversations, as it always does. It's one of those hot-button issues in our society about ERs. Everybody has a story about one. And we had a couple of positive calls, in fact, uh, about rapid response times, not only from from our frontline EMS workers, uh, the fact that Manitoba, the Alex Forrest will tell you, we have the fastest and the and the quickest response times of anywhere in North America and uh, also a, a very positive ER experience from one of our our callers and a positive text message as well my brother had a heart attack 15 years ago I drove him from Elmwood to St B they rushed him in 
like fast, thank God, and he's still with us. So thank you, and God bless them at St. B Hospital. That from uh, a loyal listener here at 680 CGOB. Contrary email here. Okay. Um, from Jackie, in fact. Very timely discussion. Went to Children's this weekend with my son for the first time Sunday. Took 25 minutes just to triage, but once in, had an x-ray within an hour. Sounding good so far, right? Yeah. However, we sat there for another four hours before we saw a doctor who proceeded to say, have you had an x-ray? What? We've been here four hours and you haven't even looked at the x-ray? Before you come in to see him, waited another 40 minutes for him to return and for him to say, yeah, it's broken, cast on and out of there after five and a half hours. As a nurse, in my medical opinion, many of the people there could have waited to see a family doctor, but as parents, you are never sure and you hate to see your child suffer, even if it's just with a bad cold. And I often take... and. Once again, my opinion, the children's ER out of it because, yeah, when you're a parent and if it's your first, particularly if it's your first go at it, you never like to take chances with your kid's health. And I think a lot of people do end up in the ER at children's that don't necessarily need to be there. But some of those people do get a pass because they're just doing what's best for their kid. I had an ear infection. and This is what I remember of it was it's just sort of like, flashes of it um but my dad will tell me that he had to take me to the hospital for an ear infection which was really bad i remember sneezing and i thought my it felt like my ears were exploding so he took me to the but i mean i was a kid i didn't know sure. it was the first time i'd ever have one and yeah and of course my my dad wanted to make sure that the pain went away because like you said you don't want to take chances with your kids so he took me to to that. I don't know if you would classify that as an as an emergency, but I would imagine for my parents, it sure felt like it went to them. You know, when your child is screaming and doesn't know necessarily how to articulate what's going wrong and what's going on in their body, uh, yeah, you need a medical professional to interpret what's going on with their body. Uh, Chuck sent us a very lengthy text message, four of them in total. I couldn't possibly read them all, uh, but he had some really good ideas. And one is something that they've done at Children's, speaking of Children's. There is a kind of a parallel quick care clinic for certain injuries. And this is a suggestion that uh, Chuck is making. Most people who visit ERs are not critical. I suggest that 24-7 quick care clinics be installed in conjunction with every ER. The triage nurse can then determine if the patient does, in fact, require emergency service or if they just need non-critical care. And this way, if there is an error in triage, the ER is readily available. Having the clinics properly staffed, nurse practitioners, etc., would be critical. But this would reduce the ER waiting times and provide adequate care to those who need and immediate care to those who need critical care. The clinic would absolutely need to be properly staffed. And once again, several other comments from Chuck, but that one stood out to me. Yeah, that's a good. Uh, oh, yes. And I do see uh, Chuck has uh, said many, uh, had many things to say. Thank you, Chuck, for you. We appreciate that you took the time to type all of that stuff out. Uh, on your phone and send it to us via text. Todd, did you read Todd's text yet? Uh, not on the air, okay. no. My brother 
Had oh, yes, hard... pardon me, I did. Okay. Yes, I apologize. And I apologize for clearly not paying enough attention. Well, you got other things on the go there. We're monitoring traffic, <laughs> weather, uh, forecast updates, all that sort of stuff. You are forgiven, my friend. Uh, Michael says a lot of people I see in the ER are basically there killing time. Well, I don't think they're just hanging out, Michael, but I understand uh, where you're coming from. 3.45 on 680 CJOB. We're going to have a look at traffic. We're going to have a look at weather. And then... Richard Cloutier and Julie Buckingham will tell us what's coming up on the news. It's like the pitter-patter of little feet. <laughs> Julie Buckingham. Mine are little. And Richard Cloutier. They're not little. Eh, they're, about, they're, they're about average. They're 12. What, size, size 10, Cloutier? 12. They're 12s. What? Uh, oh, did I, oh, I keep doing, just put his shoes up on the table. Yeah. So. yeah. Bad yeah. form, actually. Yeah. It's, Oh, here you are again. You know what they say about big feet? Big, big shoes. shoes. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Julie, uh, nice to see you. Hope my you had my a great shoes weekend. are not big to fill. Yeah, it's all good. It's all good. Oh, you have sandals on today. Very nice. nice to be back, guys. Thanks for the welcome. Yeah, Hi. welcome back. Wow, you look, geez, Louise. You I was going to welcome you back, but then you put your feet on the, on the table. Relaxed. The the new that me. was some suit you had on yesterday, Cluche. <laughs> he kept the price tag on, did you notice? So he could return it, it after the, the event. It was the price tag. It was the brand name of it. And oh. then after you put you you shamed me on Facebook, I... You found some nail clippers and no, got rid of that? I, I had it realized <laughs> it. Actually, it was one of our street teamers that said, you have to take this off. It's not cool. Yeah, you don't need that And um, <laughs> So it just kind of tells you a little bit how. Well, it was a sharp suit, man. Where yeah. were you yesterday? Breast cancer pledge ride. And this is uh, something that's been going on for 16 years, my first year involved in it. And it started at Cinnaboy Downs. And uh, pledge ride motorcyclists, about uh, 375 involved raising money, and uh, they got over the million-dollar mark over the years of fundraising. And Anita Stenning was there from Cancer Care Foundation. Very emotional moment in meeting some of these folks. The pink suit was uh, was interesting because I ended up uh, getting in a lot of pictures with folks, uh, not because it was Richard Cluche from CJOB. It was the guy wearing the pink suit. So here I am posing with um, hardcore motorcyclists saying we want to get a picture with the guy with the pink suit so it was kind of fun uh fun and people were asking where'd you get that pink suit pink suit store the pink suit store he's not telling in other words next door at hudson bay by the way oh you are sharing yeah see i wouldn't share my source like that i i I thought you suit in the box i thought you secured your sources a lot better than that suit in the box Uh, someone else suggested (laughs) that it was the same suit the white suit that he wore right to table for 1200 more and he just washed it with his reds and got the pink suit i saw that which is creative i thought that was very clever yes that would be a very winnipeg thing to do it It would would. be a very cluche thing to do (laughs) (laughs) and the table for 1200 wow does that my first time there it was fantastic and speaking of clothes, we're bringing you a, a story out of Edmonton. We have an Edmonton reporter joining us. There is a fracas brewing at an at a school uh, in a smaller community, and memos going up from the girls and the boys based on. We'll tell you all about it following the four thirty news. Oh, he just put the brakes. He just put the brakes on it, Julie. See, see what happened there. Mm-hmm. It's all based on something very interesting. All right. You have to join us after the 4.30 news. The girls are posting memos in the girls' washroom. The boys are posting memos 
And the teacher says, It's a fracas. It's a fracas. All right. Fracas, ruckus, hullabaloo, whatever you call it. What else Causing are you working consternation. on? Causing consternation. Oh, consternation. There you go. I like that word. What else are you working on? This is your I'm, time. I'm allowing. Use it wisely. Is Richard not sure what we're working on? No, I'm looking He's at reading. it. I'm looking at it going, Yeah, it's a pretty strong lineup. <laughs> Christian O'Mell. <laughs> From. Keep it to yourself, then, Rich. Keep it to yourself. We're going to talk about how Superwoman is breaking the glass ceiling. Who Wonder is? Woman. I mean, Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman. Yeah, Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman. I'm Superwoman. Yeah. yeah, she really is. Uh, Christian O'Mell on Gang Awareness <laughs> and uh, lots of other things coming up. Very interesting stuff. All right. Well, if you don't right want to share with us exactly what's coming up, then we'll just we'll Bob call Irving it a day on and... the Coach's Show. Okay. That's Agents it. of SWAT. Yes. Talk about that. Oh, I'm curious to know uh, what... Some interesting things happening. we got a comic happening. book thing yeah. happening. Here. Right very on. interesting mm-hmm. things happening at the courthouse today. Um, the very latest on, on London. Um, that just breaks your heart, doesn't it? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It, uh, when That came in just as I was wrapping up my shift on Saturday. So uh, it, it, when it came across, honestly, the, the one line was, police are investigating an incident on London Bridge. And I thought, right not away, again. Right away, this yeah. is going to be something bad. And not again. We were out Saturday night, and the consensus is, you know, the Brits for all the the fun that we poke at them from time to time. You know what? The Blitzkrieg did not break this country. Uh, this this will not break Britain. Resiliency. Richard Kluchain, Julie Buckingham, thank you so much. And by the way, we have to congratulate Earl Dudek, who. Answered our Wonder Woman-related question. The question was, what was Wonder Woman's estimated weekend domestic box office? And the answer was $103.1 million. And the reason why I posed that question is because that figure had been altered from earlier in the day. It was originally $100.5 million, But they changed it to one hundred three because due to an unusually small drop in audience from Saturday to Sunday, that indicates the well-reviewed film Strong Word of Mouth is giving the film more momentum than... Usual, So it was just really weird to see them change the figure like that. We'll get the official numbers probably by tomorrow. So congratulations, Earl. I'm Brett. He's Greg. Jeff Fortier, Master Control. Mackling and McGarry on 680 CJOB.